welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome back to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. I know it already said that in the intro. It'd be so much more interesting if, if, if it was like, welcome back to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Leonard Nimoy, and this is how Leonard Nimoy really spoke. And you'd be like, God, he really was a brilliant actor. Still a brilliant actor, although I think he's retired. He also was the first Jewish astronaut. Anyways, I am here in Los Angeles. Um, I got laid off, so I decided to follow my dreams. Isn't this show supposed to be about dream jobs? And I came out to Hollywood, and everything has happened so quickly. I just became a star overnight. I did not, but I have not gotten a parking ticket, which is how I measure success in my career. <laughs> I'm very thrilled that I have not gotten a parking ticket. My dog sadly did uh, OD on a chocolate, um, which was terrifying. And when we went to the vet, the vet also let me know that she's overweight. Of course, you go to LA and immediately the first thing out of the vet's mouth is your dog is overweight. I don't want her to get body image issues, but both she and I are um, going to try to be healthier without letting it um, get to our self-esteem. So I am out here because I wanted to break into TV writing. I wanted to. I want to break into TV writing. And so I had the privilege of interviewing some of the most formidable uh, TV writers out there, most notably Greg Garcia. Um, I had seen him speak in New York at this New Yorker panel, and he was so funny and down to earth. Greg Garcia, if you don't know, he created um, Yes, Dear with Alan Kirschenbaum, and he also created Raising Hope, and My Name is Earl. Raising Hope is on the air right now. You can see it on Fox. Um, if you haven't already, it is so worth watching. I was just a huge fan of him as a person, and then became quite riveted with his shows, and then also noticed that he had gotten in a little bit of a Twitter, um, uh, small, very small, little um, tip with Alec Baldwin. Um, so I brought that up as well, but I was saddened um, when I saw that his co-creator on Yes Dear, Alan Kirschenbaum, had um, sadly passed away uh, recently. He uh, unfortunately killed himself, and I didn't talk about it in the interview and ask about it because it is so soon after. It's been um, barely a month, but um, I did want to send my condolences to um, Greg and Alan's uh, other friends and family. It's amazing from the outside to see how touched you are by someone's work. And then you remember that they are a person, and, and certainly uh, you can feel that when you talk to Greg Garcia. He's most definitely um, a hilarious human being first. It's such a nice, refreshing thing, because a lot of times I'll meet these comedy writers who are so successful, and they're not funny at all. Like, they're not funny at all. And it's not just that, like, they're mean. It's like they're just genuinely void of personality. So that was refreshing in and of itself. And he had success quite young, but um, still does things like goes and works at Burger King to see what it's like, um, but goes and works at Burger King. Like, he really does put his time in, and I was like, oh, I need to put my time in. And gets his scripts done. So all of you who are like me, who have been working on the same script for 743 years, I'm only 18, but um, it was also, he just gets it done. He gets the stuff done, and I think it's really easy psychologize things when you're out on the outside and obviously success begets more success but there's something to be said for getting your tuchus in that chair and sitting down and writing. It is really fun when you get to take a break and just talk to people about what they do and this was such a joy. So without further ado here's my interview with the critically acclaimed creator and writer Greg Garcia. So my first question to you is 
I know that there's been a lot of controversy in Gawker and Defamer about how there are a lot of Hollywood writers who are Jewish, and I just didn't know if you wanted to come out and reveal that you're Jewish. <laughs> um, I am secret. You know, it's funny because um, John Stamos' father, when he was alive, he called me the Mexican Jew. Um, and, and I'm neither of those things. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, somehow uh, I've been able to hide it until now. But yes, Garcia Stein is is my real name. We changed it because it was easier to pronounce. Okay, yeah, good. It makes sense. Also, stand out. I did think it was odd that that you're a civilian in this case, like having a celebrity come after you just from doing comedy. I can totally understand if I said something idiotic, which I say every day, and I yeah. said it on stage, and then someone else called me out on it. Yeah, I can't really understand like going after someone who isn't publicly saying anything, and then just getting yelled at, or or made fun of, or ridiculed in some way. I was t- thinking about Alec Baldwin. He was calling me a Scientologist. He, yes, but he also was criticizing how your show was getting more. Oh yeah, 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 and yeah. Well, things, and I thought it was odd that he went after. You. Well, no, I mean, what? All the other NBC shows. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he, yeah, he went after us and Scrubs, and he seemed like he was on just, just kind of like a rant, like a crazy rant. And, you know, so that was fine, but, but, you know, and then I took the opportunity because once I saw that a couple of people were like picking it up online and stuff, and just picking up that little part of his like eight page crazy interview in the wherever it was, the New Yorker. Um, I took the opportunity to go ahead and try to get some publicity out of it by attacking him because like our ratings weren't great. And I was like, well, let's let's attack back and see what happens. And so then um, so I attacked him. And then when he came, then he came out and called me a Scientologist. And then I was like dancing around in my living room like it was Christmas morning because I'm not a Scientologist. And it was like, oh, my God. And so then I fired back again. And then he didn't respond anymore. And then the funny thing was, like, later on, um, uh, my kids, we were watching uh, the Oscars, and, and Alec Baldwin was hosting with Steve Martin. And um, and one of my kids says, hey, Dad, that's that guy you got into a fight with. Who won that fight? And I said, well, he's hosting the Oscars, and I'm sitting here with you, knucklehead, so I think he won. <laughs> So, yeah, that was a fun. That was that was fun. I, I was mostly just to try to get some press for the show. For me, like, I mean, oh, it was I, very funny though. Yeah. I thought your response was very, very. Funny. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it was. I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. I love sitting back and and crafting a, a well uh, written, hopefully well written insult and firing it off. That's a good time for me. I was. Gonna, I was gonna, did you do like stand up or something when you're you're just so fun? I was wondering if you did comedy when you were a kid. No, I never. T- class. Uh, well, yeah, definitely in class. In class, I was. Always a class clown and and looking for attention. Uh, definitely, I'm still looking for attention. Obviously, by doing things like going after Alec Baldwin. Um, but uh, but I, it got to the point where like I had this one English teacher who was really great, Miss um, Alexio, and she would just tell me if I would if I would just shut up for the entire class, I could have the last five minutes. <laughs> so I would just kind of sit there and think about what my five minutes are going to be, and I'd go up at the end of class. And tell stories, and I would just tell you to tell some jokes, or I'd tell stories about what happened at my house with my family, and how we were setting up the Christmas tree, and my parents were fighting, or whatever, and just, and I'd just be getting laughs, and I'd love it. And it was great because it was the one class that I'd sit and pay attention and shut up the whole time because I knew if I did, I'd get my five minutes at the end. So that's really the only stand up I've ever done, aside from, you know, just wanting to have attention at parties and stuff like that. And I find myself like, I'll go to like grown up events where, 
people are sitting around talking about real things and all I do is just sit there and look for an opportunity to make a joke. Yes. Like yeah. that's all I do. And I'm sure that, that it's exhausting to people that they're like, eh, funny guy. You gotta, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about Africa here and you're just looking for opportunities to score, but I'm sorry. That's, I'm a jester. That's what I'm supposed to do. So I take my job serious. Is your wife funny also? Yes, my wife is very funny. <laughs> I'm surrounded by funny people. My parents are very funny. My sister is hilarious. And, and my, all my friends growing up, I mean, you just, it was a bit of a battle to, you know, insult each other and be funny while you're insulting each other. And that was just kind of a way, way to survive. I always feel like it's the debate team growing up. And the best way to be a debater is to be funny. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you can always win with humor. Yeah. Everything else, it just like puts you to sleep or you want to punch someone. because You, you don't have to be right if you can make people <laughs> laugh. <laughs> you just don't. And for some reason, people go think that that you're smart because you can make people laugh, which is ridiculous because you might be a complete moron. Not exposed. Though. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, did you know you wanted to work in TV right away? Yeah, well, I took a class in college. Uh, well, I, I watched TV my whole life. Like, all I did was watch sitcoms. That's all I did. I loved it. And I would watch all day long, and I would record them with my cassette audio recorder while we ate dinner, and I would just listen to them after dinner. Which and I just shows you liked? Anything. Anything that was on. Uh, Neil Lehrer or? Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, Happy Days, Brady Bunch, Leave it to Beaver. I mean, those were all in reruns at the yeah. time. But I mean, but all during the day, that's when I watched. I didn't watch a lot of TV at night, like um, uh, because I'd have they make me go to bed. But um, sometimes I'd stay up real late and watch Johnny Carson and stuff. I had a TV in my room and I had a, there had a little speaker and I would roll up the a magazine so I could like put it by the speaker and then put it by my ear and I'd kind of have to look out of the corner of my eye so I could still see like Jerry Seinfeld or someone doing stand up. And um, and then I took a writing class in college. This is in New Mexico? No, uh, Frostburg State Frostburg in, uh, in, yeah, in uh, Maryland, Western Maryland. And, uh, I'm, just, I'm just like, that's even more horrible because I'm from D.C. <laughs> that's okay. Nobody <laughs> knows, nobody's heard of Frostburg State University. So I took this writing class for TV and I got lucky and my script got picked to come out to Warner Brothers. And I spent like two weeks on like in a show called Room for Two with Linda Lavin and Patricia Heaton. And I hung out with the writers and I was like, and I graduated college at that point. I just graduated, and I was like, I think I want to do this. But I was working for Tony Kornheiser in D.C. on the radio, and he tried to get me to stick around. He wanted you to stay working for him. Yeah, he wanted me to stay. I mean, we were having a good time and everything, and I was kind of like his, like, board op sidekick kind of guy who would talk some on the radio. And he was great. Like, one day, he was asking me questions, like, one of the first days, and I just nodded, and he was like, idiot, it's radio. You can't nod. <laughs> And so I, I turned on the mic and I said like a joke. I don't remember what it was, but he came to me and he said, you talk whenever you want. And I was like, wow. So then I was, you know, I certainly didn't talk that much on the show. But when I did, I would just make jokes. And so we were having a good time. And, and but at the same time, you know, he was like, yeah, you got to go and come back. You know, if you if wow. you if you fail, come back. You got a job here. And so that was really nice. And my parents were very supportive and they said, you got to go and you know, you got to go see if you can do this. So I drove out to LA and I got a job as a production assistant. And then the following year, I got into another writing program and then I got my first job. What was that second writing program? It was the same thing. It was Warner Brothers had this outreach program through the colleges at the time. Wait, you so got it twice. Well, they flew. Well, it was two <laughs> different programs. No, it was two different programs. One was from through colleges, and they don't do it. I think they only did it like one year. Uh, but then this one that they still do is like a ten week program that they do, and they they let anywhere from like fifteen to thirty people in. I think they they've changed it up. Uh, the year I did it, they had two actual classes, which might have been the only time they did that too. And then they 
try to place you on Warner Brothers shows, but they don't guarantee that you're going to get on a show. So I went through the program, and then I didn't even get any interviews at any shows. And so I went back to being a PA. I thought you were going to say, so then I did the program again. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I, just, I did it 14 years in a row. Um, and, uh, and I didn't get a job, and I was bummed out. But then I saw some people from the workshop going and interviewing on the lot. And so after they left, I just walked in that room, and I said to the guy, hey, I'm from the workshop. And he was like, do we have a meeting? And I was like, no, but I work across the street at Step by Step as a PA and and he was like, yeah, I've seen you before. And I was like, well, the workshop's not sending me out. I guess they don't like my script, but I think it's good. Um, So I thought I'd give it to you. And and he read it that night and he liked it and he hired me. So yeah, so that was my first job on a show called On Our Own, which lasted one season. Yeah, I looked it it up, but I couldn't find it on um, YouTube. Yeah, they might've hidden it. It was about, it was these these family, and some of them some of them still work, the Smollett family. There's all these brothers and sisters. Yes. Okay, I saw that on the, yeah, that was unbelievable. Yeah, and all their real first names started with J. J's. <laughs> but then all their names on the show started with J, but they were different names with J. I was J. so confused as to what it was so confusing. on IMDb. I was totally confused. It was so confusing, and Ralph Harris, a very funny uh, stand-up comedian, was their oldest brother who had to dress like their aunt so they could all stay together, so... Like the the state music. wouldn't split them up, yeah. But and I didn't understand why he couldn't dress as their uncle, but that made it a lot funnier, I guess. It well, but not funny enough to stay on for more than a season. <laughs> but it was fun, it, and and it was a really good group of writers that that I really liked, and it was a great learning experience. And I'm still, I mean, the writers that that I worked with, I'm still friendly with today. Two of them work on this show now, and and, and worked with me on on Earl and Yes Dear and and everything else. So uh, I made a lot of good friends on it. And then from, yeah, because I feel like once you meet people here, you stay close to them because they're good eggs. Yeah, definitely. And you, I mean, and this job is like, it's hard and you're here all the time and you're already getting like, you know, you're working with the network and the studio and, and it's good to be able to go into a room with people that you've known for 15 years and one, they can listen to you vent and they're not going to be like rolling their eyes. Yeah. Two, you know they have your back. Like they're Actually, like, you they know. will be rolling your eyes. Well, they will, but they, <laughs> yeah, they will. And, 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 and you, they have your back too and they're like, you know that they're going to work hard for you and you're all in it together and there isn't like thin skin. Like you can look at a script and go, nah, I don't like this. Let's do something else. And then be like, all right, whatever. I've been here for 15 years. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to take it too personal. So. It's a huge difference at just learning about Hollywood that like you really do need people who, who actually like you. <laughs> yeah, and it makes the job a lot easier too. I mean, so many people I know that are running shows, they're like, how do you guys have the hours that you have over there? How do you, because we have really good hours. For our writers, and then like, how do you? And it's because, well, I mean, our writers traditionally get in. They get in at ten o'clock in the morning, and they usually are out of here by seven. Um, and for sitcom writers, that's pretty good, and that's kind of the way. And then, and now, just so you know, for any any job, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say we don't have our moments. We have our moments where where somebody you know, like we might have. They might have to stay till ten or something like that. But it's because they're good and it's because I trust them and it's I I don't really I don't go in the writer's room I get somebody's script like this morning I have somebody's first draft so I'll sit with the writers I'll sit with like four writers at 9.30 this morning and I'll go all the way through the script and I'll give them very detailed directions of what I want to do every scene I know exactly how I want to change it I know what jokes are going to stay what jokes aren't going to stay and they'll go off and for the next two days they'll have my very specific instructions and they'll do a fantastic job 
of rewriting the script. And then there'll be jokes, and instead of just one joke being there, there'll be five or six jokes there. It'll be like this, or this, or this, or this. And so I'll get a draft that's like 75, 80 pages in two days, then I'll go through it, and I'll pick which jokes I want. Some I'll be like, well, this is good, and this is good also, so save this one for stage. Um, And then there's some sections where I'll be like, ah, you know what, I'll put a note in, try again here, or I was wrong here. Uh, I don't like the way this is turning out the way I said it. So let's try it the other way, another way or whatever. And so then they'll go back one more time and, and then and that's that. So then therefore, because since I have to be on set and do everything else, so they're not waiting for me to come in there. They just keep doing it. And it just, the work gets done a lot faster that way. But that's incredibly efficient. I don't think I've ever heard of a process that. Yeah, but you have to have people that are good to be able to do it i mean if you don't have a good writing staff that doesn't work it falls apart how did you learn like because obviously we're super funny from the get-go how how did you learn the structure because each of your shows has a real story you know what i think i I, I, uh, there were different levels of me learning story structure i think part of it is watching sitcoms over and over and over and over again when i was young so i think even the first time i sat down to write my first spec script, there was something that... What was that script? Cheers. And there was something just that was inside of me that knew what a story was. Whether or not I could verbalize it or not, I just kind of knew what a story was just from watching them over and over and over. Then I took this class at college, and um, there was some bit of structure talk, but not a ton. But then just working on shows and, you know, I mean, even like the shows, like the first shows I worked on, like On Our Own and Family Matters. I mean, these are not shows like the ones I do now, but they were shows where they drive you to a nice, sweet, emotional moment at the end of the show. Now, those might have been sometimes a little uh, cheesier. Forced. Forced, maybe. (laughs) but, But they were still driving to that moment and it was very important to them. And I think with my shows, certainly, um, c- certainly Earl and Raising Hope, um, I always try to drive to those moments. If now, are wondering about the police cars, it's because they're. It, we're, we're in Chatsworth, and somebody probably is using, shooting porn without condoms on. So, <laughs> that's probably that's probably what's going on. Um, we are. Um, so, like, I still drive. Now, I get to a different. I get to them a different way, and I probably have some darker stuff along the way than those shows, but. It's still important to me. So that was another way. And then on when I worked on uh, Yesteryear, uh, when I created Yesteryear with Alan Kirschenbaum, he was one of the greatest storytellers uh, I ever worked with. And, and I learned so much from him, you know, over those six years about how to break a story and what makes a good story. Um, so, you know, I think it's just over time. What did you he just, say? Well, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's not necessarily. Like, do you remember a moment that you were like, oh, no, it's it's just working with somebody, and it's just like and, and it's just like seeing somebody um, keep digging deeper for like more of a story twist, or you know, or um, finding a way to drop something in the beginning that's going to come back later and resonate uh, at the end of the story. Um, and I think as I moved into single camera stuff, certainly yeah, because we started four cameras. Yeah, yesterday was four cameras, and we told I think we told really good stories, but they were also lighter stories. You know, and I think in four camera you tell lighter stories that that you spend more time kind of delving into what is happening because of the stories. You have long conversations. You know, like Raymond. You know, it's a, they all have very simple stories, but 
you'll spend a whole act sitting in the kitchen talking about it and everybody reacting to it. And that's that's a great way to tell a story, a simple story. Whereas like a single camera show like Earl or Hope, I mean, the ball is just, I mean, we can make, we can have six or seven story turns where that could have been like, you know, four or five multi-camera episodes uh, because they would let it breathe more. And I'm not saying one's better than the other, but just one, you let it breathe a little bit more and, and you let the characters talk about it and experience it more where the other one, you're just moving fast. How much, though, I was trying to figure out, is like, how much is camera versus like era? Like it felt like, yes, dear, like fit that era of television shows and like the, the idea of like these two couples and one sister sort of marries up and one doesn't, but they're still yeah. both. Like that seemed so accessible to that time period too. I didn't know if that had anything to do with it, but... I think for subject matter, maybe, but as far as, like, stories, I don't think, you know, like, the, the density of stories, I think if you look at multicams on CBS now, you know, and I, I gotta say, I'm speaking a little bit, I don't, I'm not real, real familiar with them, but the ones that I've watched, you know, they are lighter stories, and which is fine, um, but... Uh, that was very diplomatic, by the way, because you didn't say which ones, and we all know you were talking about 60 Minutes. <laughs> I was, I was, but I think that they have very light stories these days with the absence of Andy Rooney doing the hard-hitting stuff. I think they've really started to slack off. And their eyebrows are ridiculous. I mean, how small are their eyebrows now? I mean, I, what what is that about? How am I supposed to trust a newsman whose eyes I can see? I just remember a story Andy Rooney did about backpacks. <laughs> that the kids today had backpacks. Oh, I just love, I, the, like, what I remember in particular was just like, there's too many, too much soap. <laughs> Why is there so much soap? There's green soap. There's orange soap. They even have it on a rope. Like, it was like, really? Like, this is like, you just watched, like, all these really good, hard-hitting news <laughs> stories, and now we're going to do soap for five minutes. But people loved it. At the time, like, the biggest news source, I think, or one of the main news sources outside. Do they have some? I don't. I I haven't watched sixty minutes in a while. Do they have somebody that comes on like a jackass for the last five minutes now, or do no, they just retire know. that? You don't know. They don't have like a John Stossel or someone coming on with oh like, God. "Give me a break" or something. <laughs> oh my! <God. laughs> Wait, but so was yes, dear, somewhat autobiographical because the characters were named. Yeah, it was. I mean, I mean, basically, Alan and I were had we had our um, first kids at the same time, and so that and we were talking about like raising kids and like arguments we were having with our wives about it and whatever else because that's like that's like the most in my experience like when you have a, your kid your first kid is the most time that you fight with your wife because you're both like completely insecure you don't know what you're doing yet you're both doing it and, and exhausted. you're exhausted and you're and you fight until like the kid develops an actual personality and then then you start to turn against the kid and then you have like a common enemy and then i think you start to bond again but but we were we so we both had kids around the same time and um right around the same time and so we decided well we'll 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 create a show about this and then he loved me telling stories about my family back east and like he would like exaggerate like my family was all like living in in, like in a trailer somewhere like he he loved it right so so and i would and i would exaggerate stories because i knew how much he loved it you know and i'd love to see the joy on his face to hear those stories so so navy blue to like really light blue collar yeah exactly exactly (laughs) or no collar um and so so 
uh, so then we then we decided like, well, well what's the show? So then like uh, we knew it was about raising kids and and being married, but also like what else? So we decided like what would happen if like my in laws moved out to L A and lived in with us? And of course we made my in laws worse than they you know way worse than You're they are. This now. Right, right, right. Yeah, because I don't know. I mean, I doubt they have a computer out. in the trailer <laughs> to listen to this. But just in case, like they go to the library or something, and somebody shows them how to use a computer, <laughs> I'd hate for them to be upset. You can't send them a transistor radio, <laughs> <laughs> a little ham radio. Yeah, yeah. like a them. crank. So anyway, so then yeah, so it was kind of auto- and, and and autobiographical too in the sense that we would tell stories. Like I would come in and tell stories about things that are happening at home, and he would tell stories about it. And we would and we would do those stories on TV. And my wife would watch and be like, "That's the fight we had." And then like. At the end of the episode, she's like, you did not win that fight. (laughs) And I'm like, well, you don't have a television show. I mean, I'm sorry. And then other times, like, I can remember, like, being in a fight with her and it, like, kind of wraps up. I'm thinking to myself, we're not even at the act break here. This is, I'm not going to get a story out of this. So I'd, like, kind of try to keep it going. And How much do you keep, like, because if I was just obsessing about fictional characters... Does it ever, like, come up in your marriage or anything where you, like, blurt out the name of a character? You could be Earl. I don't mean it has to be, like, Virginia, but I just meant, like... Yeah, well, one time, like, I took an Ambien to go to sleep, and, and we were talking about our housekeeper, and I kept calling our housekeeper Catalina from <laughs> My Name is Earl, yes. and and she and that's when she was like, you've taken an Ambien. You're no good. You're no good to me. Go to bed. She's like, you're not even going to remember this. So, yeah. You're like, I'm just prejudiced. It's really... <laughs> <laughs> With- Earl and raising hope, they got a little kookier. Yeah. You know what's funny is is and, and I and I get it because I know what Yes Dear was on the surface and I know that a lot of people didn't watch Yes Dear. I mean there's you know, people that watched it and didn't watch it. And so when you just go when you just kind of think about both shows, you're like, Well, my name is Earl is is like they're like, Well, how'd that guy come up with that when Yes Dear was so down the middle and whatever? But when you watch Yes Dear, especially like every week we did like tags that we did really weird things at the end. And it was what it was. It was on CBS and it needed to work. It couldn't just be some crazy show. It needed to work between King and Queens and Raymond and it did. But there was also like, a, for me, there was also like this, let's get weird once in a while and do weirder stuff. And sometimes we do it in the body of the show. Like we would, we're the only show, on the single, I mean, multicam show on CBS that would have like an animated like nose spray Afrin thing chasing him around the house because he's addicted to nose spray, like a little CGI like thing. So we would do weird things like that. And every week we'd have a weird tag where something just bizarre and surreal happened. And and I really enjoyed that. Even the karaoke, I remember one where it was like about whether she's fun, whether... Oh, yeah, yeah. And like they were doing karaoke. Yeah. And like... It was absurd. Like, they're really just singing karaoke. Yeah. That was, like, literally, like, three of them were just fooling around. <laughs> yeah, that was just goofy. And so there was some weirder things. So so for me, it wasn't as much of a transition, but I can see why people see it like that. But, yeah, I mean, I sat down. What happened with My Name is Earl is I just, it was, it was, um, yesterday was coming to an end. Or I thought it was coming to an end because it ended up doing 13 more episodes while I had My Name is Earl on. I had to leave and, and go do My Name is Earl for the last 13 yes years. But I sat down and, and shows like Arrested Development were on and there was some other single camera stuff. And I thought, I just really thought I want to I want to write on one of these shows. Like I'd like to go write on one of these shows. I like these shows, but I know they're not going to hire the guy that created Yes Dear just off the fact that I created Yes Dear because it's it's a different type of show. Sure, it, it did very well for the network, but it's a different type of show. So I thought I have to write a spec. I have to write a spec script, but I don't want to just write an, a spec script. So I'm going to write a pilot, and I'm going to write a single camera the sing, any the single camera show I want to write. And so I just sat down with no network, no studio involvement, and I just wrote 
the script that I want to write, the show that I want to do. Um, but I thought even at the time it could just be a sample to get a job. And I wrote it. Even though you've created two shows by now. Yeah, because I really thought that because I put myself in the position of those people hiring and they're like my name comes across their desk. They're like, well, yeah, but it's a different type of show. I don't know if he can write for this show. I get that. I mean, it, this is a business where you have to prove yourself. You have to constantly prove yourself. And that's what I love about this business is anybody can say, oh, you know, I can't get a job. I can't get a job. You're one really good script away from getting a job. That's all you need to do. You need to write a really good script. If you can't do that, well, that's too bad and yeah. you might not get hired. But but that's what you need to do. Um, so I knew that. And so I sat down to write a single camera show to see if I could do it. And uh, as it turns out, um, uh, a year and a half after I wrote it, NBC decided that they wanted to do it. And um, How old were you when you wrote My Name is Real? Because it has this sort of like profound redemptive thing that I was like, you should going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I've just always been drawn to those kind of stories. I think, how old was I? I was like... I don't know, 34 or something like that. I'm going to guess some somewhere around there, 34, 35, somewhere okay. around there. So, yeah, so then I wrote that, and then they wanted to do it, and, and that was great. Kevin Riley was running NBC at the time, and he was like, yeah, it's very different, but let's take a shot at it. And, very different. Like, yeah. yeah. And so interesting. It has this huge cult following. I was curious why, why it ended so abruptly. Yeah, that was a bummer. I mean, I, I was bummed out about that. Um, you know, Kevin Riley, who put it on, had left the network to go to Fox. And so uh, I'm not so sure it had a true champion over there at that point. And we were surrounded by shows that the network owned. Um, okay. You know, they, they owned uh, m many of these shows. I mean, The Office um, obviously has had a great run and is a great show. But when we came on the air, The Office had very low ratings yes, and yeah. they put the office on after us and uh we got huge ratings and the the office then in turn got sampled and people realized what a great show it was and 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 that started to do really well and then then things started to get shipped around on the schedule and the show that they owned the office got the good slot and we did not get the good slot and i get it i mean look you can be on both ends of that right now raising hope is on fox and it doesn't get fantastic numbers but i am it's critically acclaimed yeah it's critically but i mean it doesn't get fantastic numbers and and but they own it so i think there's you're going to keep getting hopefully a slight nod because they own it so you can be on the good side of things and you can be on the bad side of things did that's you, just the way it works did you want that when you did raising hope did you want them to own it so that they would pay more attention to it i'm more like i didn't think too much about that i mean it definitely was in the back of my mind like that's a better thing given what having just been canceled because i think if nbc owned my name is Earl. It would still be on the air right now. Yeah. I really do, um, because uh, they. I don't think they would have moved it around so much for one. So I think it would have kept the audience that it had in the beginning, which was huge. Think and about I, the boost it did for Carson Daly's career. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I think I think it would still be on today because they own it and they would be making money off of it. But so yeah, that was in the back of my mind. But at the same time, Kevin Riley was running Fox. And after my name was Rose canceled, I felt like, well, let me go back to the guy who believed in me the first time and let me pitch him this new idea. And to his credit, thank God, I pitched about five minutes and he said, great, let's shoot it. And Can I was you like, just, like, go in and do the, the pitch. Like, what did you say when you went in? I mean, it was really quick. It was just kind of like the first little part of the show where I just set up this family. I set up who they were and then that the guy sleeps with a serial killer and she gets executed and he gets stuck with the baby and he just starts laughing at this <laughs> absurd notion and i think you know partly because he thought the show was uh funny it sounded funny 
partly because we had worked very well together in the past and we have a very good relationship and I think he trusts me very much to go ahead and take something that sounds absurd and ground it in a certain way and, and make a good show. And, and so, you know, that was great. I mean, he, you know, there was no script, there was nothing. He just said, let's shoot it. And, um, and so that was a big vote of confidence. And then I had the pressure to go write the script, but, uh, but uh, it worked out. I feel like also like what's unique about your shows is that you take characters that I think can sometimes be treated in a patronizing way. I think like you can take sort of blue collar characters or like call them white trash or something like that. And like none of, there's no condescension. Yeah. And well, it's funny because like, you know, you always walk the line and then some people will, will say that. And then other people will, will get offended with certain days and things or whatever. But you know, I, I do, I do love these characters. I'm not looking to poke right. fun at anybody. And, you know, and I think all my characters are a combination of people that I know and grew up with and love. And so that's never my intention. But at the same time, look, you're going to be in the room and there's going to be a joke and you'll be like, all right, if you just look at that joke, yeah, maybe we're, <laughs> we're going too far, but it's funny. So we're going to, so, funny. so we're like- going to do it. And the other thing that was funny that's funny to me is like a lot of time, like I'll read things like my name is Earl, like they'll go, these are all rednecks. And it's like, no, rednecks are like racist, um, okay. you know, with like they have like uh, like rebel flags and they go out hunting and whatever else. These are white trash. Like my name is Earl was white trash, but they, they want to call them rednecks. So then I would always take offense to that. But then like raising hope, it's then they go Caucasian trash. Yes. Yes. OK, sorry. <laughs> Caucasian American trash. So then in Raising Hope, they would call them white trash. And I'm like, no, they're not white trash. They have jobs. They're hardworking people. Like, they're not trash at all. They're just, they just don't have a lot of money. And then people would say, well, you know, you're always writing these Southern characters. And I'm like, they're not Southern. They don't speak Southern. You're just saying because they live in a house that isn't that nice, you're calling them Southern. You have a problem with this. Like, like the, you're doing the labeling here. It is amazing how much people project on, though. Yeah, like Martha Plimpton is not Southern. There's no part. No, she's like a sophisticated New York. Yeah, and I don't know if that's partly because it kind of looks like Earl, like the style. So they just decide that that's what I do or whatever. It'll be funny with like if if this pilot I just wrote for CBS, if it ends up getting on, it'll be funny to see like th- these people are completely different. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, yeah, he's writing Southern people again. What's that? What's that one? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to get into it too much. But it's just it's 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 a single camera comedy. Um, and it's, it has very similar tones for me in the sense that like, it's, I'd say quirky, but there's a lot of heart to it as well. And so that's kind of like what I like to do. And, and so, and people, people, you didn't give us any detail. I know I didn't give any detail. (laughs) It's got heart. Yeah. (laughs) They're humans in it. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't know. We'll see. I'll talk too much about it and then it won't even get shot and I'll feel like an idiot. So can you just like go over how you logistically balance all these things? It's tough. This year is the the hardest because usually I just I'm just running a show. That's what that's what I do. And then just running a show is hard. And like I explained, like having all these great people and directors and writers and people that you can trust makes it a lot easier. But even still, running a show is like a 16, 17 hour a job day usually. So this year has been even tougher because um, at the beginning of the year. Um, I, uh, instead of making another deal at 20th Century Fox, which I've been there for 15 years, that's where I did Yes, Dear and Earl and and Raising Hope, um, and uh, even worked there on Family Guy and stuff a little bit even before that. So I've been there forever, but they weren't uh, particularly interested in making a long-term deal with me again. How come? Oh, I don't know. You'd have to ask them that. But my good old friends at CBS, who I've worked with uh, on Yes, Dear, and I've always cared for a great deal, and and, and Les Moonves is always... um, 
seemed very interested in getting me back over there. And, and he goes the, by Leslie to his closest Oh, friends. I'm sorry, Leslie, yes. And, uh, um, and David Staff, who runs the studio, who's been a friend since I was a PA uh, at Warner Brothers um, and uh, is fantastic, and I've wanted to work again with him for a long time. They were interested in making a long-term deal with me. So um, so it was a really interesting situation because I've never left a show that I created before. But at the same time, there really wasn't an option that I could take that wasn't, I mean, all signs pointed to I, I had to take this deal for a variety of reasons. Um, so I'm currently developing for CBS. Uh, I've written, uh, wrote a pilot for CBS, and then I went ahead and wrote another pilot just for myself um, because I wanted to write it. And I don't know what's going to happen with that. What's um, that one about? That one is. It does a, sound like people are dying in this building in different places. There's a few <laughs> sacrifices going on. Uh, that one's that one's a four camera. The other one's a four camera, and it's about um, divorce and family. And is that vague enough for you? And and then I'm also supervising two friends who are writing pilots. So there's other two other pilots that I'm executive producing. So I'm doing all that. As I'm running the show, so this year I just like I'm sorry, my head is about to explode. Like, how yeah. Do you, how so do this you year is pretty crazy. But the big key again is um, is that on this show is surrounding yourself with good people on a lot of fronts. One, my own pilots that I'm writing, whatever I find the time to do that. When? Just, well, like last week, I locked myself in a room at my house from ten in the morning till four in the morning, and I just wrote, and I got two things done at the end of the day finally you know I'll, I'll go off on like a marathon writing session and have some caffeine and just go um and as long as you've structured out like a story and it makes sense then for me it's always been kind of easy to just just get that done so i'm lucky in that sense then the people i'm supervising i'm just supervising two people that i think are amazing writers and they're doing a great job and all i have to do is like give a couple notes and sit back guys? A guy named Bobby Bowman, who I've worked with since I was in um, on Family Guy. I met him on Family Guy. Then he worked on Yes, Dear. He was like my right-hand man on Earl. He worked on Raising Hope. He left this year to do his own show, Family Tools, um, on ABC. That's a mid-season. But, um, and now I'm supervising him on this pilot. And then the other person is Danielle Sanchez, who I met on My Name is Earl, who's an amazing... Yeah, Yes, and she's an amazing writer. And then she went off to do her own stuff, and she's worked on a variety of shows. And we both have deals at CBS now, so I'm supervising her on her thing. But they're so they're great writers, so it's not like I have to do anything other than just kind of give some notes and assist a little bit. So that's great. No, not at all. But I mean, Bobby tried once, but um, I let him latch on just to to soothe them. It soothed them. Um, but then in here and here, I'm just, I'm doing more delegating, I guess I'm, I'm letting more people do their jobs because they're very capable of it and being less of a control freak out of necessity because I have to, I can't be on set every day because I might have to do something for the other studio that's paying me. So, and I want to do a good job for them. So I've kind of put myself in a position that I should have a long time ago anyway, which is to trust people a little bit more. And they're doing a fantastic job. We're having an amazing season. There's a guy, Mike Mariano here, who's also executive producer. This I made him executive producer this year on this show on Raising Hope. And, you know, he's killing it. He's doing great. And and so, um, and for going forward for this show, that's a necessity anyway, because next year I won't be here. So there has Where to be... Well, I'm, I'm, I can't, I, it, CBS would only let me run this show for one more season. And now I have to, I'll either have a show on the air for them, one of those four, yeah. or all of those crapped out and they, I, they wasted their money on me. And, uh, no, and, and I would, I would, con- I'd continue, I just hide. No, I'd, I'd continue 
developing or work on another show for them, whatever. But they own me for the next three years uh, after this season, so I won't be on Raising Hope. Are you allowed on the premises? I will be allowed on the premises. I think technically I'm a consulting producer, so I can still I can still help out uh, to some degree, and 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 uh, um, and I will do that. But uh, but for all intents and purposes, I'll kind of be be gone. Are you gonna do any cameo? Like I felt like on My Name Is Earl, I felt like. On my name is Earl. You had funny cameos, like the even at the, the first episode. I yeah, I was dancing, and then I played Tim Stack's movie. agent for a while. I, I I actually had more stuff. I had a mustache and a wig, and I played Wilford, um, which was fun because I would come to set and I would refuse to not be in the character of Wilford on set, and Wilford would say all kinds of crazy things and to the crew, and it became I don't know if it became just crazy to people or fun to people. It was fun to me. Um, for working all the time, just going in there and being an idiot. So yeah, I did more of that on My Name is Raw. I didn't... Actually, last night's episode of Hope, I was on for a second. I, got, I took an orange to the head. Wil- Wilmer Valderrama threw oh. an orange and hit me in the head. But uh, uh, but no, I haven't been... I, didn't, I haven't done that much of that anymore. I think I got it out of my system. But it was just a fun... For some reason on Earl, it just became this thing. I actually enjoyed more... More than being on the show, I enjoyed like dressing up as Wilford and walking around set for the day and acting like a complete knucklehead. And like I would do stuff like Geraldo Rivera was on the show and I was directing, but I had a scene where I had to play Wilford with him. So I said, listen, um, somebody else is going to come and direct for the next scene because I have to run off to a meeting. Oh, you um, didn't even tell him? No, I said, but you'll be in good hands. So he's like, okay. So then I went to the trailer and I changed and I came out of the trailer and he was like over by craft service and I started yelling. I'm like, Geraldo Rivera, man. Hey, Geraldo Rivera. Hey, man. What's up? Wilford, we're going to be in the scene together, man. Fucking Geraldo Rivera. I can't believe it. And he's like, all right, good. And then we sit down and we sit across from each other at this table and and he goes, uh, how you doing? I go, I just need a second, Geraldo. Okay, don't rush me into this, all right? Just give me a second. I got I to gotta just take everything in here. I've had a bad morning. And he's like, oh, what happened? He goes, I had a, I said I lost a fish this morning, man. I lost a fish. And he's like, oh, was it a koi? You know, he's just trying to make polite conversation. He's like, was it a koi? And I'm like, no, it wasn't a koi, Geraldo. It was a goldfish. I don't have Geraldo Rivera money, man. It was goldfish, and I've had it for over a month and a half, and it, it's just affecting me. All right, fine. Let's do this. Come on, let's do this. Let's shoot this scene. And I'd act like a lunatic because everybody else knew I was the showrunner. But like, he was like, "Who is this idiot?" So like, we do the scene, and then I went back and changed again, and then I directed him for the rest of the day, and he never mentioned it. And then the next day at craft service, he comes up to me. I was getting breakfast, and he just walks up and he goes, "You asshole!" <laughs> Somebody had told him, and he just didn't know. He didn't know it was me. So that was like, like to me, that's just so much fun. <laughs> And I did the same thing to and Betty then, White. She had no idea. Wait, what was the prank to Betty White? I love same it. thing. I was just in a scene as Wilford, and I was just messing with her. And I think I told her sooner. Like, I actually told her when I came back to set, and she, like, was laughing and whatever. But um, that was, yeah, that was fun for me. You do do very uh, smart female characters, like Cloris Leachman and Virginia. I feel like these women, I mean, Joy was more of, like, a parody and, and funny. Yeah. But, like, you do you do have women who are smart and, and not I think that's my mother, you know? I mean, I think my mother's a very smart, very funny, very strong influence in my life. And and I think that, you know, I think there's a little part of her in every character. I, wrote, I just wrote her for the multicam that I wrote. And I'll say it's for CBS because that's where my deal is, but it's not really for anybody right now. Um, it, it's about my mother 
moving in with me, like if we both got divorces at the same time. And it's been just a blast to write because I'm writing my mother and my mother, she read it and she laughed and she goes, you got to change that name. She's like, I have real estate clients and I don't care. I don't care how true to me this is. That's fine. Uh, you got to change the name. So she's Carol in this thing. She's not, she's not Natalie anymore. But, um, but you know, so that's been fun that for me to write. So just because even if nobody ever sees that script but my family, we've really enjoyed it. Like my sister and my father and everybody's read it. And the first thing I do is give it to them. And they've been just loving it because it's kind of everybody's just character that I'm writing. And um, it's also like because my mom and I were on the same dating site. Like it is like it's. Yeah, because that's what it is. Like now they have to start their life together. And look, is that like have I reinvented the wheel with that? Like, uh, no. I mean, there's been plenty of shows like that. I think there, there's there's shows perhaps on the air like that right now. But this is my take on it. And this is like, you know, um, my family. And, and so who knows? That That's one of those shows where you got to get the right cast. If somebody, if some, if you find somebody great to play the mom and the dad, um, then who knows? Maybe somebody puts it on and, and it's a good show and whatever. But I think it's, uh, but it was fun to write. Do you keep a record of all the stories you've done? Because you've told so many, and you've now done so many episodes. Do you ever worry about repeating yourself? Oh, no. We repeat stories all the time. <laughs> we, I, I don't care about that at all. <laughs> okay. I'll steal from myself. I don't care. Oh, no. We do Raising Hopes that are uh, are carbon copies of episodes of Earl, if you really look at it hard enough. But first of all, my my feeling is this. feel that way, though, as a no, it doesn't. But and you won't. You most people would never know. Never know. Like true historians of both shows, you could go. Wait a second. They did that exact same. Like we're just. I'll tell you right now. We're doing an episode in a couple of weeks where Jimmy's afraid to fly, and I'm sitting there. And I was like, Wait a second. I know I have this great way to deal with this, and so I wrote it all out. And then I was like, Wait a second. I've seen this on TV. Oh no, I think I'm stealing this from somebody. And I was like, Wait a second. Did we do this on our Earl? Went back and watched the Earl. We did the exact same thing, and I'm like, Oh good. Thank God. It's just me. So I'm doing it. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Nobody will catch it. And if they do catch it, they're already big fans of the shows anyway. So they, I don't think right. they'll be upset. But look, first of all, there's only so many stories to tell. It's an homage then. It's an homage it to was, myself. It was on purpose. And, and so I don't mind that at all. I'll, uh, we'll co- go over the same themes. We'll even in the room, we'll be like, well, look, uh, we'll take a little this, this, this is kind of similar to an Earl we did, but we'll t- put a twist on it here. And and it's not like intentional. We don't sit down and look at the Earl episodes and go, all right, which one can we steal to do this? Or we don't look at a yes dear and go, how do we steal this? But we're doing a show about people with kids. So, yeah, we've done episodes that are very much in theme to what we did on a yes well, dear episode. There's just only so many themes. One can, like, yeah, and even like them. I'll pitch things in the room like I'll pitch things completely fresh out of my mind that like I thought of this. And then someone will go, oh, oh, you know what? I think I saw Modern Family where they did something like that. And I'll be like, well, you know what? I didn't see that episode. Right. And I just thought of it myself. Right. Stop watching so much TV. Okay? Because we're doing it. We have to do 24 episodes. We're doing it. Shakespeare wrote everything. Yeah. So I mean, like, he wrote about like literally Prozac. You can look in some of the things. You'd be like, oh, he's basically talking about like medicine. Yeah. So like, so. I don't get like, I don't like that show Baby Daddy came on the air. And I started reading these things that was like, oh, it's just, it's raising hope. It's raising hope. I'm like. No, it's not. It's just a guy with a baby. It's like a completely different take on Like, who cares? It doesn't matter. And then even like my attitude a little bit too, I've said in the room, which is like, um, 
because I never, I would never purposely take anything from somebody else. I would, I wouldn't. I mean, well, I, I, I would. It's more, it's a genuine unconscious. Like, yeah, and my, my attitude too is like, it's like I've seen plenty of things after doing many, many of episodes of TV. I've seen plenty of things on TV where I can go, oh, we did that. Oh, we did that. But it doesn't bother me. It's just like whatever. Either, either maybe they did see it and get influenced by it, or maybe they thought of it on their own too. Who's to say they didn't? And it's kind of like for me, it's like take a penny, leave a penny, like. I've left so many pennies. If I need to take a couple pennies when I'm in trouble, I'm going to take them. And that doesn't mean I'm per, like stealing anything. It's just justification for like, yeah, if they did something similar and now we're doing something similar, who cares? It's just way, TV shows. I feel that way breaking in. Like people will be like, don't, you know, you should get it signed before someone reads it. And I'm like, if my joke is good, that's great. And I'm sure I'm funny enough to create a new one. Yeah. Everybody like, is so, everybody is so paranoid about that like when they write something like how do i protect this how do i make sure no one steals and i'm like no one's gonna steal it (laughs) no one's gonna steal it and if they do you know what it's the best thing that ever happened to you because (laughs) you know that you did something good so now you know what go do something else what do you think you were just gonna write one script you were gonna write one joke like like if they stole it and made it then good good for you you got something made you didn't get paid for it but you got something (laughs) made now go make something else i always feel like i hope at least they credit me in their mind that's the only thing you yeah. You worked at Burger King. Also, I did. During the writers yeah, there's my letter. There's a letter from Burger King there with my with one of my paychecks. Wait, you, okay, you make so much money that you can put your. Well, it's you like, make so much money that you can put your paycheck up. I would tax. It's a paycheck for what is it? Thirty six dollars and seventy seven cents. Okay, so that, that's there's more like, comedy. That's there's more comedy in putting that up there than thirty six dollars and seventy seven thirty six dollars and seventy seven cents. That's Hulu for like four months. Um, and plus, I didn't feel like cashing it because after I worked at Burger King, they gave me a card where I get free Burger King for the rest of my life. So oh, wow. I, I so that's my little payback to them as I won't cash that check for thirty six dollars and seventy seven cents. No, you'll need it for your co-payment to the doctor when you have a heart attack. Well, I don't really use it that much, to be honest with you. But but uh, I, I do use it once in a while. I, um, uh, yeah, I had an idea for a book a long, long time ago, way before Spurlacker's 30, 30 Days and whatever, which I, 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 which I love that show. It was so great. I wish they still did it. But before that and before, like, Undercover Boss and all that stuff, I had this idea, and I never did anything with it, um, uh, which was I'll work at a bunch of different um, fast food places or minimum wage job places. I'll, I'll write about my experience. You know, I used to have hard jobs like landscaping and stuff like that. And now like I have, you know, a, you know, now I can get my lunch brought to me and I live and work behind gates. And it's like and I'm like, I should challenge myself. And one Hopefully it's funny me doing these jobs and talking about it. Two, I want to like get to know the people that work there. And then as like a game show element of it, I will pick one person at the end of the month. I'll give them $10,000 and then I'll move on to another. Yeah. <laughs> we have to go work at a, a place together. So so that was like the idea of the book. Like So it's like investigative reporting, but also like humor and also like a game show element. It'd be fun. Well, then I never had a chance to do it because I was always working. And it was always like in the back of my mind, I think it would be a fun adventure. So then the writer's strike came and I was like, well, now I can't work. And I don't really feel like picketing all day long. So I'm just going to get a job. You are not allowed to complain because I was in New York and it was freezing cold. <laughs> it was just so stupid. Standing around with a sign and chanting like that's going to do anything and honking their horns. Like, like, like at some point, like somebody like Peter Chernin's going to be in his office. Going, I can't take the honking anymore. I'm Pinko Boulevard. I'm going to settle this strike. Just so stupid. 
So like, I, I, I just uh, whatever. I mean, that stupid strike. I mean, it. I mean, it totally screwed up. My name is Earl, and whatever. I writers you know guild, come get me. Here? But that's how they. I mean, it's so horrible that they had Armenian genocide, and I feel like everyone would empathize sure. with the fact that like your people were killed. Yes, but the way that they commemorate it is honking their horns all day. It just Armenian seems genocide. like, like, like. I mean, do we think like geese don't get what they want all the time, and they're constantly honking? I just meant so, you protest by not necessarily walking around with pickets. I think if you're not working, it's pretty clear you're not working. Exactly, <laughs> I agree with you. So anyway. So I wasn't thrilled about doing that, although it wasn't cold in New York, but uh, it was hot, maybe. I don't know. I assume it was hot. Uh, but anyway, so I decided I will take this opportunity and I will go and get one of these jobs and I'll do it for a month and see what happens. So I interviewed at Burger King and I got the got the gig. Congratulations. And I worked there for a month and, and I kind of wrote notes about it and I met the people and at the end of it, I gave a woman 10 grand and it was great. And then like Burger King found out about it and they were nervous and they thought I was writing some like fast food nation book and I told them I wasn't and that my experience at Burger King was great and and they're like well great then talk about it if you want to and and yeah and then they gave me that card for free Burger King for the rest of my life which is ridiculous um I usually like when I go to Burger King I just get like stuff for everybody in line I'm like you get a Whopper you get a Whopper <laughs> like Oprah Burger King um but uh so anyway and then uh, since then i've never been able to do it again because i've been working so it, but i did i would target stores that i like want free stuff yeah i know that's what my kids said <laughs> like why didn't you work it you know whatever but uh but so i haven't done anything with it although the single camera comedy i wrote for cbs has um has a big element of kind of that experience in it awesome. so i am kind of using it for that so basically what I've gotten out of this is that I'm so lazy because I'm like, I hope I break in and get a writing job. And really what I've learned from this is like, there's no reason why you shouldn't be working at Burger King while you're <laughs> Well, you know, it, it was, it was, you know what? It was oddly like relaxing because like after like running a show, yeah, you could just like, I mean, I, my favorite part of the day was when my manager would be like, go, go clean the tables for like 10 minutes. I'm like, great. And I just walk around and just you know, scrub the tables and listen to people's conversations and take out the trash. And it was just kind of like relaxing to be able to leave and not like have, you know, you know, and worry about it. Now, listen, before I sound like a complete. It's because, you know, it's going to end. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Before I can sound like a complete <laughs> dick. I get it. It's hard. I mean, I have so much respect. These people had not one job. They had two jobs or three jobs and they were fantastic folks and working really hard. And this wasn't, I wasn't doing nickel and dime in America where I was doing this, you know, expose where I was like trying to live on minimum wage. Book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't trying to live on minimum wage like she did. Like I would park my car like three blocks down and I'd, then I'd go back to my house. And, and like, so I, I wasn't doing anything heroic or anything like that or trying to do anything. I was just some jackass working at Burger King that knew it was going to be end. She's but, also an academic doing that. So even there, like, she's doing that, but she also knows there's an end, too. Yeah, that's true. She knows. But but at least she's, like, struggling and along with it and stuff. Like, that wasn't part of what I was doing. Even my manager was like, oh, I even tell people, you know, because I still keep in touch with her. And she's like, oh, I tell people, you know, you know, you've got to work harder. you got to work hard like Greg did. And I'm like, don't say that to them. They could just say to you, Greg was here as a joke. He knew he was leaving. Of course he worked hard. Like, what? Like. So I asked her, please don't say that. Um, but uh, at first I thought you meant your your um, 
Hollywood manager. No, I don't have a Hollywood manager. I just have a Burger King manager. And I was like, my Hollywood manager was so impressed. No, 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 no. No, she asked me to join the management trainee program when I was working there and everything. And I had to like make up excuses why I wasn't, why I wouldn't want to do that. And because um, I didn't obviously tell her what I was doing. But um, but no, she was great. And we still keep in touch. It's really sweet. And now I really do need to get a day job. Um, <laughs> Greg Garcia, thank you so, so much for doing this. Thank you. Fun to have you on. Thank you. Thank you to all of you for listening. Please continue to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud if you want to go to individual episodes. And you are always welcome and encouraged to donate. It really means a great deal to us to have all of these fans. So thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Have a good day. Wear a sweater if you need. <laughs>